job. Thank you. Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Colossians. We'll be there in just a moment. Colossians chapter 1. As you're turning there, uh, tonight we're going to look at uh, a teaching I've entitled, The Day God Sent Us His Picture. Now, I shared this morning uh, a little bit similar theme on, uh, on looking at the image that Jesus gives us of himself when he declared that he is the good shepherd. And uh, as I was sharing this morning, I, uh, I shared with you the thought that uh, as I was re- reconnecting with some friends on Facebook and some guys that I played football with, that it dawned on me by some of their jabbing comments that they had not seen me without hair. And uh, they knew a different Brady that had hair. And then it dawned on me as I was thinking about that, that most of you, you know, there's a few that I went to school with that, that knew me at a different stage in life, but uh, most of you had not known me with hair and uh, maybe an overgrown beard or something like that, but nothing on my, my head. And as I shared some of those uh, baby pictures, early school pictures, and we began to uh, think of what that's like, I want you to imagine for a second, uh, yeah, some of you thought that was pretty hilarious to see the different hairstyles. Yeah, whatever. I want to see your school picture. I want you to think for a second, if, if you were to think of one of your school pictures or one of your childhood pictures that would stand out in your mind is iconic you, just think about what that would be. Was it like my dad's childhood school picture? I've chosen it for him. I don't know that he'd say this, but he had the Hollywood burr. Anybody know the haircut of a Hollywood burr? That's from years past. Uh, I, I saw that and I thought, that just brought me to joy and laughter. Uh, what a silly haircut. He said, hey, that was cool then. Or I, I think of his seminary picture that I love that it's enshrined there at uh, NTS for generations to see of a mustache that just went all the way down almost to like his belt. It felt like it was just a huge overgrown mustache. You know, the, the pictures and snapshots of of ourself, of you through different stages of life, tells a story of who you are, what you thought was important, the way you liked or wanted to be perceived, for most of us anyway, we can see different aspects of that. Well, the Lord wants us not so much to have a physical picture, I I wish we had that, that would be kind of cool, um, we have a, a missions trip that's coming up. You'll hear more about it in, in 2017. Kay and Lyndall Browning are going to be taking a team here from Grace Point to Israel. And I was thinking about the, the time that I was able to go to Israel, and, and I began to look at the people there in that land. And I thought, you know, our Lord and Savior Jesus came from a people like this. And, and could it be that some of the facial features of Christ would be in some of these people? Which one of them has the nose like Jesus? Which one of them had eyebrows like Jesus? I, I don't know. I, I get kind of uh, interested in thoughts like that. But, but the Lord didn't seem to think that it was important for us to have his physical image. That's a whole other topic of maybe why I think he didn't give us that. But he was very concerned about painting pictures for us, not only of himself, but through himself, pictures of God the Father. We looked at this morning where Jesus said, if if you know me, (laughs) I'm known by him. If you know me, you know the Father. If you know the Father, you know me. And Paul, in his book to the church at Colossae, the the Colossians here are, are going to be getting another picture of God the Father through the picture that they had received or the image of Christ. But before we dive into the text tonight, I want us to see that Paul is dealing with a group of of young believers 
a young church uh, in their spiritual maturation, and he is dealing with all kinds of false pictures or skewed pixels that get into it and it's not quite clear. And it's this heresy. It's this any deviation from the absolute truth. It's, it's a skewed idea. And I just want to share just a few of these. We're not going to study these tonight, but to get an idea of what Paul is dealing with when he is talking about Christ in this passage of, as in Colossians 1, 15 through 20, we'll begin to see that he touches on a few of these, but this is the tone of the book in which he is writing to this church. Paul is answering this variety of heresy that's a mixed bag of all different kinds of skewed pictures of God. It's this skewed heresy or idea that spirit is good and matter is evil. This thought that the spirit realm is good, but the things here on earth is evil. And and that could play out on a whole bunch of things. But even in the passage we're going to study tonight, Paul gives an answer to this, that God created heaven and earth earth for his glory we see that in in colossians 1 15 and 16 it's going against this idea that the heavenly things are good but the things here on earth everything that we see it's just evil this actually became an excuse for a number of them well my spirit can serve the lord but my hands are flesh it's here on earth and i'm not responsible for what they do my tongue is here on earth. I'm not responsible for what it says. And it was a skewed idea of themselves and of God. Uh, another heresy is this idea that one must follow the, the ceremonies or the rituals or their specific restrictions in order to be saved or to be perfect. Paul unpacks this and sees that these were shadows of things of old, but with Christ when he came, all that you needed to be saved was Jesus. It's not Jesus plus anything, it's Jesus alone. Faith in Christ and the grace of Christ alone saves us. Also this heresy that one must deny the body and live in strict self-discipline. It was as if, you know, really where my strength comes from is in my work ethic. Is in how sincere that I am. And Paul begins to unpack and and share that the the strictest disciplined person is no match for the bent towards evil that all of us have. The, The most disciplined person cannot break the back of carnality. Only the power of the Spirit can do that in our life. And There's a role that we play, but he's teaching about these skewed ideas of God. There were skewed ideas about angels. There was teachings and thoughts that we should worship angels. Paul comes in 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 2.18 and says, Angels are not to be worshipped. Christ alone is worthy of worship. The supremacy and the centrality of Christ is on his heart. Christ could not be human and divine was a popular thought. And so they tried to squeeze him into being divine, but not being human, or would squeeze him into being human, but not being divine. And Paul directly attacks this, and we see this in this passage again here that we'll be studying tonight, that Christ is God in flesh. He is the eternal one of one body. Everything in him is of the Father as well. We begin to see that there's this skewed idea that one must obtain secret Special knowledge. And it's only for the elite. 
the Gnosticism of the day, this was one of the things that would be taught. And these, these pictures, these skewed ideas of God was seeping into this young church. And it was ideas that, well, to, to really be right with God, you got to be of this certain elite circle. And it's only for a few. But Paul brings a teaching of Christ. And we see all throughout this book that, that Jesus makes himself known to all. And not all receive, but all have the opportunity to receive him. And everyone through Christ, by faith and grace alone, can not only be saved, but can have relationship with him. It's not their own works or their own higher level that they create that has anything to do with it. One must adhere to human wisdom, tradition, and philosophies, that culture would say and. Paul is teaching by themselves this wisdom, this culture, this philosophy will leave you empty and cold. It's with this picture, this group of young believers, that Paul writes these words. Look with me at Colossians chapter 1. I'll be reading 15 through 20. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. For the things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Lord, we come to You now thanking You for Your words that You have inspired and given to us. And as You stirred up Your perfect word in Paul's heart and mind as he began to pen this letter, Lord, I thank You that it was not just intended for them, but it's also a gift to us tonight. So Lord, would you help us as we often say, we don't just want more trivial pursuit answers to questions to make us feel smart spiritually, but Lord, would you grow us and stretch us? Jesus, you're quoting scripture when you say, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Lord, we are hungry tonight. Our soul needs to feast on you. And so, Lord, as we chew on the bread of your word tonight, would you speak to us through your written word? Jesus, you, the living word, would you whisper to our hearts the truth that you want us to catch? Because, Jesus, I, I believe part of what you want to say tonight is the church in Colossae is not all that different from our culture today. While there's some historical and cultural differences, the main themes are the same. There's lots of skewed ideas of you. But when we have a very clear picture of you, there is not only strength, 
There is peace. There is purpose and hope in our life. We give you our attention now, Lord. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. You see, Jesus' life teaching, His miracles, are, are God's most exact way of revealing Himself to us. The clearest snapshot or picture that God gives to us of Himself, this invisible God that we could not withstand if, if He would show us even just a portion of His being, it would knock us over. But He gives us glimpses, He gives us sketches, ideas of who He is in His Son, Jesus. So, what we see in Jesus is a picture of the Father. So when we see Jesus, we see the God who is in the Son, the God who loves us so deeply that He gave His Son. We see the One in whom all things are held together. Well, let's look. I want to look at three things tonight. It's not long. It's not complicated. It's a very simple teaching that Paul is reminding the church because there was so much complexity of all these skewed, wrong pictures and ideas of God and for sure of Jesus that it almost seems elementary. It almost seems too much of a review. Give me something deeper. But Paul is saying, hey, until you chew on this, and begin to see how fundamental, foundational, and important this is, you're not going to have much strength to go forward. The first thing is this, in your notes, if you like to take notes, we see this picture that Jesus is God the Creator. Now, I encourage you tonight to, to look back um, at your notes there. I shared this morning, I, I give you these outlines. I hope you bring your Bible to church. If you don't bring your Bible to church, I hope you bring a device that has a Bible on it that you can take notes in and, and go back to. If, if you don't have that, uh, talk to me. I'll get you one of those two things. Uh, I want you to have God's Word in your hand. Well, then why do you put it on the outline? Well, some of us are learning styles that helps to write. And so if, if that helps you learn and, and take in God's Word, then you fill in the blanks or you doodle or you draw or, or those kind of things. But I put these texts here sometimes for us to be able to draw or, or make mind maps on. And you may not want to do that in your Bible. But I hope that you see in your Bible tonight as these three things, I want you to look at them where they're at in the passage of Scripture. The first, we see this in the beginning part of this, this invisible God who is the Creator. Colossians 1.16 says, For by Him all things were created. Things in heaven and things on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. Directly attacking this idea that there's these two planes, that we can have this spiritual realm of our life, and the things temporal here on earth have no connection to the supernatural, to the spiritual. And, and Paul is saying, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. God in the flesh, fully God, fully man in Jesus... He is declaring to us a picture of God, the Creator. He's created all things in heaven and here on earth. The book of James reminds us that every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. If it is truly good, it is His. Now there's some things that we get skewed that we think are good that's not really truly good and we don't want to blame the Lord for that, but there's so many things around us in creation that, that scream of His glory. I love the song that was selected tonight about how 
in the world around us, you take God from it, it's meaningless. That imagery that that songwriter gave is, as we begin to think of the oceans with, with rivers going into them, you can't fill it up. We think of how pointless things would be, but yet when we put God in the picture, we begin to see that all of His creation screams praise to His name. The, the Scripture images throughout the Psalms when the trees will clap their hands, the rocks will cry out. We begin to see all through passages of Scripture that His creation gives praise to His name. We begin to see that this Jesus is the image of the Father. We see our Lord, the Creator. Recognizing that God created the world around us, that God created our very self, that we are part of His creation, is the first step towards true faith, towards true encouragement in Him. Any deviation of this idea, this heresy that was plaguing the church, begins to give skewed thoughts about self, skewed thoughts about our world around us. What do you mean, Brady? Well, there are so many people in our culture today that have this self-esteem problem. And I'm not trying to downplay uh, the role of clinical counseling. I'm a strong believer that God has given the gift of counseling to many, and it can be a, a tool just like medicine can be a tool. But our culture is obsessed with feeling good about ourselves. There's been a generation of people raised with this uh, hypersensitivity to self-esteem and now raising their own children with a hypersensitivity of self-esteem. And it's not to say we shouldn't feel good about ourselves, but the skewed idea that I feel good about myself when I get a trophy every time I play the game. I feel good about myself when everybody recognizes me the way I want to be recognized. And missing the idea that my self-worth is in whose I am, not just who I think I am. When I begin to see that I am created by God, you are created by God, every person, every person you lock eyes with is God's creation. You look at some of them and you go, God, you've got to have a sense of humor. You made that. I pointed over there. Did you notice? I didn't point to anybody else. Try not to get myself in trouble. <laughs> Just look in the mirror. Yeah, that's good. You see, God created us. In his image. We begin to get these ideas of this God who is a creating God. It's, it, it speaks to who we are. There is hope and there is help there. But we, we need to move on. We see Jesus is God the creator. Jesus came to earth so that we could meet and we could know our creator. So it's not just this abstract idea that we are created by God. It's this idea that we could, we could know the creator. Have you ever met an author or an artist of a book or a song or a musical uh, entity that you really liked? You ever been kind of starstruck? Have you ever been around somebody you go, they, they created that? I, I like the story that Mark Lowry is a comedian who ended up traveling with Bill Gaither, tells his story all over the place about the first time that he was with Bill Gaither. And he couldn't believe that he was there singing with this legendary of, man of gospel music. And, and he talked about being on the tour bus with Bill Gaither. And he said, right there in the tour bus, I couldn't sleep. I just looked over and I saw in his bunk this big nose sticking out. It was Bill Gaither's nose. That was the nose that wrote all these songs. We can be starstruck and, and not only knowing that this stuff has been created, but the very one who created it 
knows us. He didn't just invite us onto some tour bus to kind of be a part of some singing group, but intimately knows us. This morning we looked at Jesus being the good shepherd. He is the one that calls to us by name. He knows every detail about us. And it implies that we will know Him. This is a picture of God the Father. This is a picture that Paul needs to remind the church if they don't have this deep in their gut, everything else begins to fall apart. This one who was the creator that we could know, the one who turned water into wine, the one who multiplied the loaves and the fishes, the one who calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is drawing up for us, up close and personal, this picture of God that God was drawing on the canvas of this universe, of his greatness in creation. When we entrust our lives to Jesus, we are entrusting our life to the almighty creator whose eternal plan and power covers all entities that have ever been. It's a perspective shift. Then trusting God with my little old problem becomes not such a laborious task when I begin to see who it is I am entrusting my life to. That's just the first little glimpse. The second is this. We see Jesus is God the creator in this passage. This invisible God becoming visible to us in Jesus Christ. We also see Jesus is God the ruler. Colossians 16 through 18 of chapter 1 reads, All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things are held together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning And the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. This line here that he is the firstborn among the dead, what in the world is that supposed to mean? He is the first one with a resurrected body. He's the first one that conquered this grip of of death and sin. And he has been glorified to the Father and he has come back to earth and he will reign again. He'll come back again. We will join him with new bodies in the resurrected life. But he's the first He's the one who's blazed the trail. He's the one who's gone ahead, fully God, fully man, bringing this image of the Father to us. It's not just one of creator. It's also one of ruler, who is supreme, who is above all, who is first. It's been a year or two ago. We we talked about a series on Sunday morning of, of first, about making God first in our life. But we had to first look at this skewed idea that our priorities are missed or skewed priorities could somehow threaten God. Friend, if you don't put God first, I've got something that may burst your bubble. You're not going to threaten God's supremacy. You don't break God by not putting him first. You end up breaking yourself. He is first. Jesus is first. He is supreme. And this image that we get of God the Father through the Son, He's given us this picture. He is the Lord of everything. Just as our world is not self-created, it is also not self-sustaining. Jesus not only created the universe, He sustains it. He holds it together. He keeps the stars, the planets on their course. He is the power behind the laws of physics. He maintains this delicate balance necessary to sustain life's existence. He literally holds all things together. As the Apostle Paul tells of this in in Acts 17, 
He himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. For in him we live, we move, and we have our being. He sustains all. One of the great puzzles of of modern physics is how the positively charged protons in an atomic nucleus can possibly stay together. How could this happen? They're held together by something that scientists have called the strong nuclear force. (laughs) I love this. They know the force exists. They can measure it. They know it is the strongest force in the universe, but they have no idea why or how it exists. For the Christian, this physical paradox is, is not a mystery. The universe is held together from the atomic to the cosmic by Christ. It's this one who is creator, this one who is Lord of all. And so these skewed pictures, these these fuzzy, grainy pictures of God from this heresy that was infiltrating the church, the problem was, you need to see, you are serving the creator. You are serving the The one who not only is the creator, he is the Lord of everything. He is number one. He is supreme. Everything is held together in him. And finally, the third part of this passage, Jesus is God the Savior. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Perhaps Jesus shows us God most clearly as the Savior of the world. Our passage passage says that Jesus' death on the cross reconciled us to God. The word reconcile is intriguing to me, and I think it's helpful for us to remind ourselves or to unpack again what is this saving knowledge we have in Christ. When we are saved, when we are born again, when we are set free from the power of sin, what takes place? And, and, and as quickly as I can in the next three minutes, I, I want to just remind us. If you've been in the 201 class, this is a little excerpt from this. If you've not taken 201, I encourage you to come. We, we take a, a three session, three, three and a half hours dealing with a life led and controlled by the Holy Spirit. But we cannot get to understand what a life led and controlled by the Holy Spirit or being sanctified holy or being uh, uh, born uh, of the Spirit as, as well as, as, as living in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't get to that until we understand what happens at salvation. This is not in your notes, so if you're looking for it, it's extra, it's free. I'm not charging you, okay? The first thing that happens is we are forgiven. When you recognize that you have sinned, you've confessed your sin, you've asked for forgiveness, we are forgiven. Acts 10:43 All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Amen. Are you thankful that you are forgiven? When we're saved, we are forgiven, but it, it doesn't stop there. This work that the Lord does for us, we're seeing in this picture that Paul gives us of Jesus the Savior giving us a picture of God the Father. We are forgiven and when we are forgiven, we are also justified. It's forgiveness and justification. Romans 3, 23 and 24, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. Here's that word, redeeming again. We are justified. 
Justification is this legal term. I want you to imagine with me a courtroom scene. You have the prosecutor. The one who is going after the accused. This prosecutor is Satan. You have the bench where there's the judge. At the bench, the judge is God the Father in this courtroom scene. Then you have the stand, the one who is on trial. That would be me. That would be you. And as this courtroom scene progresses, the prosecutor begins to speak in vivid detail with all kinds of exhibits, images, all kinds of proof of all of these horrific things that have been said, that have been done, that have been thought. And as I'm sitting on that stand, my heart sinks because I know every single piece of evidence that the prosecutor gives is true. But then I notice that my counselor, my lawyer, Jesus, the one speaking on my behalf, he seems to know the judge. If you can ever find a lawyer that is the son of the judge, you kind of have a good thing going on. Hope begins to come into my heart. I have, I have the best attorney possible. I have the best advocate possible. The son of the judge, this is going to be good. And as soon as my lawyer, my advocate, opens his mouth, he opens his mouth and says, everything the prosecution has said about Brady is absolutely true. My heart sinks again. Come on, Jesus. You've you've got some kind of connection here to the Father. Would you help me out? But he doesn't stop there. And he goes on and he says, But I want to pay the price in full for every single charge that's being brought against Brady. Against you. If you can find a lawyer in Fort Wayne that will do that, you need to put him on retainer. I've never heard of one who will give you a great defense, but if if things go south, they'll just do the time for you. This is the picture of justification. And God the Father hears the arguments, looks at the facts, and in His holiness and His righteousness and His justness, He says, it is justified. It is just as if Brady never sinned. He didn't sweep underneath the rug. The price was paid. The penalty was paid by Christ. You are forgiven. You are justified. But it doesn't just stop there. There's this idea of being adopted. This picture of God in Jesus is what it's talking about, our Savior. What does it mean that He's our Savior? He forgives us. He justifies us. He adopts us. Romans 8.16, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We are adopted into God's family. Here, this judge not only deems that I am forgiven, that I am justified, that you are forgiven, that you are justified, he invites you into his family. You are now a son of the Most High. The son of the Creator. The son of the Supreme Lord of all. The son or daughter of your saving God. And finally, there's this redeeming quality that comes out in regeneration. We're forgiven, we're justified, we're adopted, and forth, we're regenerated. Second Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 
I love that the Lord doesn't play mental games with us. He doesn't say, well, it never happened. Oh, it did happen. There was never scars of sin. Oh, there were scars of sin. But I'm going to bring new life. I'm going to redeem that situation. I'm going to regenerate you. It's as if you have a very valuable car. I don't have one of those, but maybe you do. You have a very valuable car. Nice, new, shiny. You hop into that car or truck and you turn the key and you hear the dreaded click, 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 click. Doesn't matter how new the car is, doesn't matter how valuable the car is, if the battery is dead, it will not engage the engine, you will not go anywhere. It is no life, no juice in that car. And the Father says, I have forgiven you, I have justified you, I have adopted you, but until I put new life in you, nothing is going to work around you, and so I'm going to breathe life into you. And as silly and skewed and and, and frail as that silly illustration is, there is new power that comes into your life when we're saved. This is initial sanctification and it's not time for me to teach that class that happens right when we are saved and and you have to come to the class to figure out entire sanctification together but but as we look at this picture that god sent us of himself through his son jesus we see jesus giving us a picture that god is creator jesus and the father are creator they are lord they are our savior as we come to a close tonight well what does this mean for us jesus deserves Your worship. As the creator of the universe, he deserves your worship. Worship is not just singing a song. Worship is ascribing worth to. Lifting up. Honoring. Exalting. So when we worship the Lord, we're ascribing worth to him. We're agreeing with him about what he's already told us of who he is. The question is, how are you worshiping him? Or do you worship him? Do you know why you worship him? Jesus deserves not only our worship, but Jesus deserves our obedience as the great ruler above all others. Is Jesus truly the Lord, the supreme being of your life? Like I said, remember, if he's not, if your priorities are skewed, you're not like running God's day, you're hurting yourself. But we are to worship Him. We are to surrender to Him, allowing Him to be the Lord of our life. And finally, Jesus is the only one who can forgive our sin to redeem us from hell, justify, reconcile us to God, adopt us into God's family forever. Is He your Savior like that? Or is it just some words that you spouted out as a child or a young adult or as an older adult? Is he the Savior that knows you? My hunch is that as the church at Colossae, when they heard this, it wasn't brand new news. They were followers of Jesus. But it was a reminder. Oh, that's what this is about. How many times in Scripture did did God's man or woman have to wave the banner? It's all about the Lord. Not about all this other stuff. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about others. It's about Him. As we close tonight, I just want to encourage you with the words that Jesus gave, not just for them, but for us. You can see God Almighty through the Jesus who is in you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the great attention my brothers and sisters have given to your word tonight. 
Lord, I thank you in advance for the miracle that you have and you will do in your preached word. Not by the presenter, not by the hearer, but by your spirit. You give the glossé, you give the interpreted word in a way that meets us right where we are at. We see you, Lord. We see you as creator, as a supreme Lord, as our Savior. And we want to get closer to you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.